Welcome to Fast Fiction. Computers, laptops, smartphones, they're all commonplace nowadays. But not so long ago, new technology was seen as a death sentence by some. Not literally, of course, but sometimes, quite indirectly, they could cause a natural accident. Joe watched his murderer with cold cunning. He had been waiting for this day for a long time. To avenge your own death is an extremely rare event, and not to be taken lightly. He knew the morning procedure pretty well by now. Kenneth Rankin would back his old rover out of the garage, taking care to keep away from the newly planted camellia bushes along the driveway. He would check the mail as he passed the box, just in case there had been a late afternoon delivery the day before, then move the car into the turn, beeping the horn and waving to Debbie and the girls as he drove up the hill. The German shepherd puppy would go bounding after the vanishing car, causing his master to stop the car just long enough to chastise it and send it home. More waves and kisses, then he would be gone. If he was early, like yesterday, Ken would probably take the long way to work, maybe stopping off briefly to say hello and check on his ageing mother, who lived a few blocks further on toward the town. He might even stop off to put some dry cleaning in at the corner store, or buy a packet of chocolate biscuits to surprise the staff at tea break. Oh, yes, at work he was good old Ken, friend and buddy to all the men, Mr. Charming to the women, and Mr. Commonancy and Efficiency to management. Wonderful Mr. Kiss My Ass Ken, the golden boy who was destined to go places. Lying sod. Joe mouthed rather than said the invective, but his whole body trembling with suppressed rage. I'll get him. He looked out from behind the flowering shrubs opposite the house where he'd been hiding. Yeah, Mr. Pluto, perfect. You're on borrowed time, Joe muttered. Joe was on borrowed time himself. He was getting weaker every day. He could tell. A dying man knew these things. It was harder to walk and more difficult to think clearly, and thinking was important, because he would only have one chance, one chance to avenge his murder, one chance to kill Mr. Bloody Traitor. It was just ten weeks since the doc had given him the final word, his death sentence, so to speak. I suggest you get your affairs in order, Mr. Honeyford. The tests show the growth to be in an advanced state of malignancy. I'm afraid you'll probably start going under in about three months, although, if you don't overtax yourself, you might be able to bank on at least another fortnight after that, if you're lucky. Lucky, two bloody weeks, four at most, and he was only forty-two. Not that it made much difference to him, not now. He didn't care any more. In fact, the lure of oblivion had begun to entice him. It would be a relief to finally be out of the rat race. Just one more night. A celebration night. He would book into the Hilton. After all, there was no need to worry about money. Even though his bank card had little credit still in it, it wasn't as if he had to ever pay for it. Maybe he'd order up one of those high-class hookers that went with those kinds of places. After all, it wasn't as if it mattered if he got AIDS. He sniggered to himself, which brought on a bout of coughing. He took out his hip-pocket flask and gulped down a slug of whiskey. 
No, he wouldn't blame Ken for AIDS, but he sure as hell blamed him for it. Maybe we'd do better going to evening classes and learning computing like Ken Rankin, the old fart Johnson had said the day he sacked him. Evening classes, computers, well, he had thought about it, but he never was much good at all that learning lark. He'd had a good brain for maths at school, though, and that had been enough to get him good jobs. He thought he was set for life when he landed the job at the steelworks. There were good opportunities to be had for a fellow with a good brain. Even when the fancy calculators came in, it didn't give him much concern. He'd learnt how to use them, no worries. But how was he to know that bloody computers and bloody computer experts would change everything so quickly? It seemed as if his whole world crashed at once. He had thought that Debbie would stick by him. After all, they'd spent lots of lunch hours together, even gone on a few dates. Not that hiking with the bush naturalists on a Sunday was exactly a date, but he had gone along just because he knew that Deb enjoyed going. So long as she was there, it was fun. Everything was fun with Deb. It was that lying sod Rankin that had loused everything up, coming into the firm with his fancy talk and fancy ways of doing things, talking about multi-skilling and efficacy standard control, or some other goddamn fancy bit of jargon. But it was enough to impress Deb. That, and all the crap about environment control, anti-pollution strategies, walking trips around the bloody Himalayas. Then she'd starting changing too, going off to the tech college to do those courses in business and English. Fancy a grown woman going off to learn English? It was just to keep up with that upstart Rankin. Why else should she worry about trying to better herself? She was all right as she was, all right for Joe. Christ, it had been a nasty scene that they had been told he was no longer needed in the office. We've tried to warn you, Joe, the silly old bugger Johnson had said. You've had plenty of opportunities to update your skills. Skills? He had skills. It wasn't his fault that the firm had outgrown him. Anyway, he'd let the old man know just what he thought of him, told him what he could do with his four weeks' notice and termination pay. <laughs> yes, he'd let them know a few things. That part had been good. But then when he'd gone round to Deb's place to try and persuade her to leave the firm and come with him up north, he'd suddenly realised how serious it was between her and Ken. I'm sorry, Joe. I never realised you had interpreted our friendship as anything more than that, she had said primly. I'm very happy with my job, and I'll soon have chances for promotion. Right kick in the face she'd given him. And then, well, he had drifted from job to job for a while. None of them as good as the steelworks, of course. And gradually each one had got worse. What was the last one? Telepromotions? It was hard to remember. He had started drinking heavily by then, and it was all a bit of a fog. It was just after he'd been sacked from the last place that the pleurisy had set in. They said it was due to sleeping out on benches and stuff when he was drunk. Not that he could ever remember much about it. It had been that last visit by the doctor when they had taken all those tests and found it. I'm afraid we still don't know what causes it, Mr. Hannaford, the doctor had told him in that cool, detached voice. It's like a game of roulette. Some people are just luckier than others. Of course, he'd gone on almost absent-mindedly, recent studies do indicate that stress plays a large part of the problem. Have you been under any strain or worry lately? Stress. I'd say he had stress. That was the murder weapon, all right. And Ken Rankin had wielded it as sure as if it had been a gun. Him and his fancy evening classes, certificates and diplomas, 
Yes, and his smooth, sharp ways with women, especially Joe's woman, Debbie. The wedding had taken place within three months of Ken's promotion. The bastard. He hadn't even been satisfied with Joe's old job. He'd gone on and up and up, became senior accountant within the year. Joe had watched them the day they moved into the house on Fernie Drive. Debbie was already pregnant, but didn't show very much. She had continued working right up to the last month, going to work with Ken every day, smiling all the time, with the excitement of the baby, the house and everything. The coarse, rough outline of his features softened a little as he thought of how things might have been. A life where he, Joe Hannaford, replaced Ken Rankin and lived the life he should be having. For a few luxurious moments, the tension over his left temple eased and the pain in his gut eased as well. He wanted Ken's life with every fibre of his being. He deserved Ken's life. It had all been there for the taking until he came along and took it all. Joe's job, Joe's girl, Joe's life. He didn't envy the kids, though. Ken was welcome to them. Although they were good enough in their own right, he supposed. Certainly pretty enough. In fact, come to think of it, if he had ever had daughters, that's sure how he would have liked them. But they took up so much of Debbie's time, and if he had been married to Debbie, well, the pair of them would have had much better things to do than look after kids. He looked at his watch. The imitation Rolex he had won in a poker game soon after he'd left home. Bloody good watch it was too. Never mind only being imitation, sometimes they were as good as a real thing. It was just that there were some people in the world too stuck up to take any notice of things that didn't come with fancy labels or testimonials. The dial showed 7.45am and the date showed Friday the 13th. He licked his lips. What he needed right now was another drink. He reached inside his jacket and pulled out the thin body flask. He drank thirstily. His head tilted up to savour the last few drops. In fact, he was so busy, he nearly missed Ken's car coming down the driveway. And Deb, oh my God, she looked so pretty. Her hair flowing free like he always dreamt it. But no time, no time. Ken's car was driving away. Goodbye, Deb. Goodbye, my angel. He followed the rover down the road. Not too close. Mustn't be seen. The newly hired fair lane felt a little strange but powerful. He barely missed the puppy as it finally gave up chasing its master and headed back for home. There wasn't much traffic on the old highway. There never was that time in the morning, which was why Ken took that route. They got to the crossroad, and Ken's rover turned left. Good. That meant he was visiting his mother. Joe turned the car to the right. A few blocks up, and the housing estate pitted out into the bush climb. Joe kept going until he came to the observation strip. It was right at the top of the mountain. He parked in the bay, with his front wheels ready for flight. It was going to be so simple, just an ordinary accident. Oh, yes, Mr. I'm better than you are, Ken, would be just one of the Queensland road fatalities. Tragic, but perfectly ordinary. Joe laughed to himself delightedly. The company's statistician would be a statistic. Good one. And he, Mr. Not-quite-so-clever Joe, would outlive him. Not by long, it was true, but long enough to get the last laugh. Ken's rover came slowly up the hill and Joe braced himself. He needed to concentrate, because when he came out just behind Ken, he would need all the momentum he could get so they could bump him to the off side of the road and over the cliff. He felt exhilarated. The effect of the whiskey added to the fire. At the crucial moment, he threw the car into gear and gave it full power. As he touched the summit of the hill, Ken Rankin first heard the roar of wheels spinning on gravel. 
then saw the brief flash of a parked car in the observation strip shoot out and take off in reverse, soaring over the mountain peak to the valley deep below. Tragic, but a perfectly ordinary accident. to A Natural Accident, written by Miranda Cross and read by A. Nunn.